You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is Archery Unfiltered, where I, Wendell Souza, cover. California archery events and what it takes to make you a better archer. Hey, fuckos. How is everybody? It's been a long time since Wendell got his lazy ass down to report, record a podcast. Uh, I don't have any good excuse for you guys. I kind of figured <laughs> I did the gayest uh, interview. <laughs> And, uh, and then I was like, yeah, uh, maybe I'm done. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'll, uh, full disclosure for you guys. I've, I've actually torn uh, something in my shoulder that had actually stopped me from shooting for a short while. Uh, still bow hunting, however, because I kind of figure if I get a shot on something, I, I can muster up the strength for one shot. Fuck it. I'll just tear it, you know, whatever whatever's going on with my shoulder I'll just tear it clean off if I can if I can get one shot down so it's funny because um my friend Hans the, the owner of West Coast when I got my hunting bow he goes how, how much poundage are you gonna shoot through that and I said I'm going max poundage baby I think it's like 70 pounds uh for me and he goes yeah maybe take it easy with that you don't want to shoot yourself out and I was like Hans it's impossible uh, lo and behold, one month later, I tear something on my shoulder because I'm trying to shoot field rounds with my hunting bow. Uh, dumb? Yes. Yes, it was dumb. Uh, did I get to know this hunting bow inside and out? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. It is a good bow. Lots of fun. Um, I'm shooting the uh, Hoyt Ventum 33 Pro. Um, damn, it's a, I was when I was shooting it, uh, this is like two months ago. I was shooting. I was telling Sandoval, like, man, this could be the do everything bow. Um, that's not true. It could be if you have shoulders of iron, uh, and and your boy Wendell does not have shoulders of iron. Apparently, I thought I did, but apparently they're, uh, you know, somewhat weaker than that. Let's say. <clears throat> um, I got a really cool setup with the hunting bow. Uh, but I'm going to hold off on the hunting stuff until I can get my buddy Austin in here because Austin loves hunting. He loves to talk hunting. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, so I told you guys I was out, right? I was out for like a month and I did something interesting. Uh, you guys might have heard of Scott Bomar, right? Of, uh, Bomar archery products. This is not this is not the other Bomar for you hunting guys out there. This is not the guy who speared the bear and like rubbed raccoon guts all over the place. Scott Bomar is different. He's a tournament shooter. Him and his wife, Sheila shoot the outlaw series along with a bunch of other tournaments. Um, Scott and Sheila have kind of been like a cornerstone in the archery community for a long time since long before I came along. And um, so Scott Bomar 
You guys might know him as the guy that makes the Bomar stop, the Bomar draw stop, right? What is the Bomar draw stop? It is, you know, your you know your draw stop peg. Well, Scott Bomar makes a flat peg, and the flat peg creates a really hard wall. Um, they've been around forever. I first got a Bomar stop back when I shot a PSE Dominator like three years ago, and uh, yeah. The dude's been around, right? Um, very interesting. I think, I think, he gave up like uh, some knowledge to to uh, what's his name? I think he taught some stuff, some tricks to uh, Greg Poole about the old um, bow tuning uh, mysteries, you know. And so, uh, if, if you guys don't know, if you guys aren't from California, uh, Greg Poole was kind of like instrumental i don't want to say instrumental but he was he was one of these guys that always shot the outlaw series um i think that's back when he lived in california and he shot the uh fresno event last year um or i guess that was this year but he shot the fresno event with gaius and they they cleaned it up pretty bad or pretty good actually um i would like to get into more of the outlaw series for those of you guys that don't know if you live out of state, it you wouldn't care about it too much, but it's a good story. You know, the story of our tournament series here is pretty good. And um, anyway, back to Scott Bomar. Now, you guys know Scott Bomar created a jig for puring arrow shafts. I publicly said I did not think that shaft puring jig uh, did anything. Okay. Um, a, a good friend of mine, Alex Mueller, went ahead cured a bunch of arrow shafts for me, marked them. He actually, you know, you know, props to him and and big respect to him for taking the time out of his day to do that for me. But he he used this puring a shaft puring device, and the only way I could describe it to you guys is if you look at a golf shaft puring, right? If you guys see what a golf shaft puring thing is, if you put it type it into YouTube, it's basically you're like plucking a, a carbon tube, right? And it's in this mandrel that kind of spins around. The mandrel will flex, or I should say rotate, until you can see the, the well, I want to say natural flex plane of the, the carbon shaft. Um, but it's the, it's the stiff sides. Basically, you're finding the stiff sides of the carbon, right? Maybe where it's overlapped. Maybe where there's some kind of manufacturing, uh, you know, tolerance buildup, whatever. Uh, call it whatever you want. Um, so Alex went ahead and pure those for me with the Bomar, uh, machine. Um, and then I knock tuned a couple arrows and then I built some arrows that had nothing, right? They're just randomly pieced together. And then I built some arrows that were randomly pieced together and then had the veins going in the opposite direction. And I went out to 80 yards and I shot a whole bunch, right? And what I found was there's no difference amongst the arrows that had the veins in the same direction. That was like the pure arrow shafts, knock-tuned, and then non-knock-tuned, all hit with the same degree of accuracy. What I found was the ones with the veins pointed the opposite direction. I seemed to miss like 50% more of those shots. Uh, is that a placebo? It could be. And I'll tell you why, because Gaius Carter doesn't believe in that. Okay, um, I I'm a firm believer in it, 
just because the the it was a pretty stark difference where the ones that didn't hit were always the ones with you know this this wrong direction fletching when i say wrong direction guys i mean you know you shoot a carbon shaft into a you know with no veins on it see which direction the arrow rotates uh naturally and then you fletch in that direction you throw some helical you know some mild helical in that direction um so i didn't think i didn't think the puring device really shined i didn't think it was it's you know and it's not to put scott down scott is a brilliant guy but i feel like at some point there's some overthinking that goes into this right um and at some point you just got to shoot your bow well while i was injured scott reached out to me and said hey man i want to offer up my services to you uh, he's like, I know you don't practice as much anymore because you're taking care of your kid. Uh, I want to, you know, offer my service to you uh, in regards to your bow. So Scott doesn't just do arrow peering stuff and like, I think he has like a knock straightening device or or knock tolerance tester. Um, Scott does all kinds of stuff, right? And one of the things he is a master at is changing bearings out of uh, cams and I've never had any issue with so you know full disclosure my target bow right now is a Hoyt Altus right it's the tiny the FX version because uh, I'm a tiny person and uh, it's got spiral cams on it because I thought why not back when I shot everything really good with a Hoyt I shot spiral cams this is the first when I first got a target bow, that's what I shot, spiral cams. And I didn't know any better. No one told me that there was a different cam. I just got it because it's what the pro shot. Um, so Scott said, hey, here's what I can do for you. I can swap those you know, bearings out with a whole different type of bearing. I can test your limb deflection and tell you which order your limbs need to go in, top to bottom, you know, left, right, top to bottom. Um... And I said, sure. I said, what do I got to lose, man? I'm I'm out with an injury. Uh, you know, I had it in my mind that I was like, okay, this is not going to give me any performance gain um, because I believe it's all in the shooter, right? And, you know, uh, yeah, it's just it. This it, is like a martial art to me. There's, there's different views on on tournament archery, right? Especially like my favorite discipline is, uh, indoor archery, but you can either look at archery like a martial art, right? Like jujitsu or, uh, karate, or you can look at it like precision rifle shooting in which, you know, you develop a load for your bullets and then you do ladder testing and then you, you know, make sure your gear is top notch. <clears throat> Now, that's not to say Scott is not a martial artist in this in the realm of archery because he's very much uh, knowledgeable about proper form and practice. And he even said, like, there's, I told him, I was like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll help you out and promote this if you want. And he was like, no. He's like, no need to promote, you know, the stuff I do. Um, I need time to practice. So he's very much a smart guy that knows that practice is a big key, a big part of it. Um Anyway, on to the story. Uh, I'll tell you guys. I'm telling you this not to promote it because, like Scott said, he's he's got plenty of things to do. Um, <clears throat> but 
uh, I'm just telling you guys the story because I found this really interesting. Um, so Scott tested the deflection on my limbs and found out that the order of the limbs that came from the factory was pretty, pretty wacky. Um, you know, Scott believes that the, the strong limbs that you have should be closer to your cable guard, right? Or your cable rod. The, um, I'm sorry, the module side of your cam, right? Which is ultimately the, the inside. If you're, if you're right-handed, it's, it's the right side. <clears throat> and so, you know, he tested the deflection. He, he gave me a list of how to put everything back together. And then he gave me back my cams with these badass bearings in, in them. And um, he gave me some, I, th- I would assume, like custom hardened axles, like a different set of axles. And then a series of shims because um, these bearings change the, uh, kind of like change the spacing between the cam and the limbs. So you can't use your stock Hoyt shims anymore. You have to use uh, a shim kit or or the shim Scott provides. And Scott gave me this rundown. He said, "Look at run, you know, run everything right down the middle. Run your string down the middle. Don't you know shim your cams way over." You know, because um, th- the idea is to mitigate string oscillation. And I don't know if you guys have ever looked at pictures, like slow motion pictures of a compound bow shooting, but your string does all kinds of wacky shit, like when you when you break a shot. And when Scott said string oscillation, I knew he was talking. He was talking some truth there because. I notice that my paper tears change if I go from a hinge release to a thumb button or if I go from a release that has a jaw that faces one direction versus another because, you know, if you're wrenching on your release, if you're pulling, when that release breaks, it's going to cast off your string. You know, I in theory, it should be straight down, but it's going to cast it off down and out to the side, you know, whatever side your jaw is open on. Um, so when he talked about string oscillation, it kind of like got me thinking like, "Mm, damn, that's a good point. Um, I know just from shooting that, at least from shooting Matthew's bows for me to get a good paper tear, I need my cam shimmed all the way to the left. Um, and so I started, you know, I started with my cams right down the middle as per Scott's request. And from there I start, you know, Got a hard left tear. Um, But surprisingly, it wasn't like how I got when I first got the bow. When I first got the bow, it was like a four-inch left tear. It was gnarly. And right out of the box here, it was like a one-inch left tear. When I say out of the box, I mean with Scott's, you know, notes on it. It was a one-inch left tear. And I attribute that to just the limb deflection to him figuring out this correct order and limb deflection. And I think what that is, Scott told me all this stuff, guys, but you guys know my brain cells are so fried. So I end up just rewriting what I think it is. But when you have the two strong limbs on the inside and the two weaker limbs on the outside, when you pull, you're kind of, you know, there's a little bit of cam lean that's like the left side is, is giving just a little extra. Or it's not snapping back as hard. And so what you have is a, a cam that isn't, you know, on some level, p- 
pointing one direction at full draw and then snapping back when the arrow is released, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, weak limbs on the outside. And it's not just weak limbs on the outside. I believe it's the two weaker limbs on the top as well. Um, I might be wrong on that. It might be the stronger limbs. I can't, I can't quite remember. <laughs> but it's something like that, something along those lines. Um, Scott had told me from the factory, Hoyt, two of these limbs were dead nuts perfect, like exactly the same. Uh, a third limb was like slightly weaker, and then the fourth was like way weaker. So much so that it could almost be a different deflection number. But, you know, I'm sure Hoyt has it, their tolerance and what they would call it. And, you know, they call it in, sure. <clears throat> so, put everything back together, draw back, and what do I notice? The This Bomar bearing is smooth as fuck, boy. And, like, what, what do I mean by that? Like, aren't these bows all smooth to begin with? They are. But something about this needle bearing is stupid smooth. Like, the bow... Like I've heard other people that had Bomar bearings installed... They're like, oh, yeah, you'll notice how smooth it is. And in my mind, I'm like, uh, okay, whatever. But it really is smooth. Um, does that equate into a 300? I don't know. Uh, I would argue, no, it does not. It does make the bow very neat to draw, though, because you can feel like it's almost like you gain some sort of fidelity in the draw force curve. Does that matter? No. no I, I, not too much, I, I wouldn't say. So what Scott was saying, the benefit of these bearings is they can take like double the load of the regular bearings. So I would guess that means this bow is damn near indestructible. And if I had like some first light magnum strings, I'm sorry, first string magnums, I could probably leave this bow set up one way for like two years. <laughs> Not adjust anything. <laughs> I know some people would be like, well, if you had gas uh, freak show strings on, you could leave it for two years, too. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I'm just saying, I've seen I've seen first string magnums get shot hard for like two years and still stand up. They're, they're impressive, but man, they're pricey. Far outside my budget. Anyway, <clears throat> so I got the bow pack. It's smooth as butter. Um, it's shimmed where I like it. I think Scott did an awesome job and it's just me. He made the bow very comfortable to shoot and I'm shooting spiral cams. So it's, it's very strange to have spiral cams and be very much like, uh, happy with the draw cycle. <laughs> it's not my, that's not my style, but, um, yeah, if you guys, I know Scott doesn't want any additional business. He does. He told me not to plug him because he's got to practice. But if you guys want smooth, unbeatable bearings, I mean, the dude is open for business. Um, you know. With that being said, I am on the martial artist side where I do not believe this will give you a three hundred out of the box. I think you need to practice. You need to get your shit together and practice. Um, but it's a cool, cool fucking thing to have done. I feel like I have a one-of-one one bow now. Like a really special uh, special Hoyt here. Speaking of Hoyts, speaking of, we're going to shift gears here. Uh, have you guys seen the new Hoyt Stratos? I know you have. It's been all over the interwebs. So, 
Very interesting. You know, my convictions, I realize how weak my convictions are when people talk to me, <laughs> when I actually talk to someone that I respect. Um, early on, I had said Hoyt just kicked out the same old crap again. I was like, this new Invicta doesn't look like as much different. Binary cam, woohoo, right? But after I really started looking at it, I was like, holy crap, they really created a new bow. And I did a little post on Facebook where I was like, all right, guys, I was wrong. Hoyt kicked out a new bow. This thing is new. There's a new cam, you know, quarter-inch draw increments, awesome. Uh, what else? You know, the rear limb bolt, uh, what, not limb bolt, what do they call that? The limb rockers aligned down the middle of the grip. Neat. Awesome. That's a co- supposed to create like a, some kind of torqueless something. You know, uh, it looks great. It looks great. And so I was like, holy shit, Hoy did it. They, they actually pushed the envelope and made something new. And then my buddy Elliot Peters was like, yeah, uh, not really, because everyone's been doing this already. <laughs> I don't know if he's talking about Bowtech, because Elliot shoots a Bowtech. But, uh, you know, he's not wrong. If you guys look at a Hoyt Dominator, or I'm sorry, a Hoyt Dominator. I'm going to get shit for that. A PSE Dominator. It has a lot of the same qualities that this new Hoyt does. Um, minus the really adjustable cam. Uh, and, and I think who was the archery hooligan or one of the one of the funny archery meme people uh, posted up a picture of, um, you know, the new Hoyt kind of like superimposed over a PSE citation. And... I think it was PSC citation. It could have been a super RTX or something like that. And yeah, the geometry looks almost identical. It, it, it does look like they took a page out of a different company's book. Um, now, sure. Okay. So maybe Hoyt's not doing something that they thought of all themselves, but don't you want to try it and just see what the Hoyt flavor of that thing is like? Don't you? I don't know. I kind of do. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, they also have that cam. The cam is supposed to have an adjustable let off. And if you guys know me, it's I like to fuck around with let off. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> right now I'm shooting spiral cam with damn near no let off. Um, I'm practicing, right? Shoulders healed. So I am back to the grindstone. Uh, I'm trying to lose some weight. So I'm, I'm alternating between exercising and practicing. Um, I'm taking practice real easy. I'm just trying to shoot a 300 round, you know, daily, right? Before I go to work, shoot a 300 round. Uh, you know, before I hurt my shoulder, I was able like, to hammer out a 300 with this Altus. Uh, as of right now, no 300. Um, I'm just a little weak. Brain's, you know, in other places at the moment. But the bow shoots great. Arrows are landing great. Uh, I couldn't be happier with the the setup. It's just, man, you guys know, shooting a 300 ain't easy. Not to mention it's hunting season. Um, man, does that all sound like excuses? Uh, you guys, no, no, no excuses here on this podcast. I just ain't getting it done, boys. Uh, I will soon though. <laughs> all right. 
And when I figure something out, I'll let you guys know. As of right now, it's the same shit as always. All right, I'm shooting a gold tip triple X, 26 inches long, AAE hybrid vein, the long one, the four inch vein, uh, 150 grain point, gold tip micronox on the end, um, on a pin bushing. And I'm trying to blade out right now. I know I've been a huge, I've been a big fan of the drop away. You guys know this. I've been pushing the drop away a lot. Uh, but damn, dude, after watching Bodie just like turn the world upside down with such a simple, like, you know, just running a blade, I'm like, okay, let's throw the blade on there and let's, let's just have a simple bow so that all the missing and all the nonsense is on me, right? And truly, <clears throat> you don't need a simple bow. You can have a complicated bow, but... You, you know, at some point you got to lock it off and it's like, I'm not fucking around with, you know, anything on this bow anymore. It's about me and like what I'm doing downrange or, you know, maybe you make like slight adjustments here or there, but you know that you're making slight adjustments to accommodate you and it's not, I need to do this because my bow shoots like shit. You know what I mean? It's a different narrative if you guys get what I'm saying. <clears throat> so... One thing that I really liked about the Dave Cousins when I when I got to take this Dave Cousins seminar years ago was the first thing he did was he got everyone's bow to shoot. You know, he taught you how to tune your bow to shoot a bullet hole through paper. After you shoot a bullet hole, he's like, all right, your excuses are gone, right? And uh, I dig that. I very much dig that. It's like, you know, if it shoots good through paper then everything else is on you. Granted, you know, you fuck with some grip pressure, you fuck with some some bar angles here and there, maybe some weights. But the rest of it is is you making shots. <clears throat> and I'll get into a little bit more of that for some of you guys. Um, I had a couple questions, like listener, listener questions uh, that I'll, I'll touch on. And, you know, so, you know, I had a couple listeners ask me about how I do the stabilizer weights and stuff. And uh, I'd love to dive into that right now. I'll give you guys what I know. Uh, first question I had was, uh, you know, hey, Wendell, you talk about grip pressure all the effing time. Uh, can you tell me how you affect, like, what are the things you can do to affect grip pressure? Um, that was like the mother load question. And I'll try not to spend the whole episode talking about this, but there's all kinds of ways that you can affect grip pressure on your bow. All right. But we'll, we'll just take it right from the top. The very first one is cam timing, right? In my mind, it would be cam timing. Even cam timing is slave to your knock point, right? But we'll just start with cam timing. <clears throat> if, if you're shooting a Hoyt, if you're shooting most bows actually, but mainly a Hoyt with spiral cams or I don't know, what have you, uh, any old bow, <clears throat> PSE even, uh, there's kind of been like this idea to run a, your top cam slightly advanced, right? Um, and you know, for the hold, it'll change the way the bow, the bow holds. Um, so I've heard some people say they do it for the wall, right? You can run your top cam a little advanced to kind of soften the wall a little bit. But what I found is, it just changes the way it holds a little. And 
I would imagine it's something along the lines that it, it equals, you know, moving your knock point up or down a little bit. Um, it's kind of interesting because, you know, when I talked to Gaius, he talked about moving his knock point up and down to find the spot that held the best. And he said, if you want to know if you would benefit from lowering your knock point, he said, take a turn or two out of your top limb and see what that feels like. And what's real interesting about that is if you take, we'll say three turns out of your top limb and you take a bow square and clip it onto where your, uh, your knock point is, you'll notice that that knock point has now tr- like migrated south and you, you'll have it much lower in the burger hole or through the burger hole than it was before. So it was actually pretty cool. His, you know, that it's all kind of coming full circle. Like, I don't think Gaius said that on this episode that that would happen, but I mean, it, it, that's one way right there to affect your grip pressure. There's tiller tuning, right? Which is where you just take a crack off of your top limbs or your bottom limbs. If you're fucking weird, but you take a crack off your top limbs. My coach used to do this. The guy that taught me to shoot, I shouldn't call him coach, but the guy that taught me to shoot, if he was having a rough day and he was dipping out the bottom a lot, if he's having trouble staying in the spot, he would take an Allen wrench. <clears throat> I think he shot a podium at the time. Might have been a prevail. And he would take like one sixtieth of a turn out of his top limb bolt. Um, and you're probably asking, what is one sixtieth? Is it nothing? <laughs> yeah, it's about nothing. Um, sometimes I, I didn't even see the bolt move, but in his mind, it got him thinking, you know, okay, I've just adjusted the way this bow, the grip pressure is about to be. It's not going to be pulling me down anymore. The pressure's get, grip pressure is going to help me hold up into the spot. And, you know, maybe it was placebo form. Maybe it really did adjust, adjust the pressure. I never, I never mess with tiller tuning like that <clears throat> because I always kind of believe that your top and bottom limb should be the same. Your cam timing should be dead nuts. And, you know, it should all kind of be focused around where your knock placement is. I've done everything from knock placement right down the middle, right? To I've done low in the burger hole where, you know, Henry Bass taught me at, or told me at one point, he goes, you put your knock point super low through the burger hole and, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> big sneeze. He said, Put your knock point low through the burger hole. Your arrow will sit closer to your hand, which is a pivot point, and your bubble being slightly out will not affect your arrow flight so much. Is that is that real? I can't tell you for sure. Okay, but I did that with um, a Hoyt Prevail. I shot that Hoyt Prevail very good. I think I that was the bow that I took to nationals. So. You know, there is that. That bow did shoot very good for me. I later went on to shoot a Matthews 38, right? And I don't know what happened with that bow, but I shot I shot it extremely well. It held, at one point in time, it held so perfect that you could just put the pin on something and you could do whatever you wanted on the rear end of that bow and it would just, hold, it would just pin would bury itself and you could wrench on your release and it would just hold. 
Um, I shot a really good um, event up in Lodi, one of the outlaw events. And afterwards, I came back and I was helping one of my students. I used to coach, helping my, one of my students get ready for like a FIDA event. And I noticed that my arrow was sitting so high in the burger hole that it almost wasn't touching the top of the burger hole. And I thought, what the hell? Something had shifted and I just moved the arrow rest to keep the paper, you know, the paper uh, tear the same. I never really thought to look at the knock point. That knock point had drifted up so high, but God damn it, that bow held so good. I ended up undoing it, making the knock point down the middle, right? Because it wigged me out to see that. To me, it meant like the bow was out of tune somehow. Uh, I set it down the middle, and it never sh- never held the same again, ever. Oh, <laughs> it breaks my heart that I did that. Um, but, you know, I know I know what it was like before it happened. So, yeah, what have you. Um, if you guys listen to my show, you know that, that one of the big ways that I talk about affecting grip pressure is with your stabilizers. I'm a huge stabilizer junkie, you know, um, as far as, you guys know, I'm a carbon craft loyalist, but as far as how you orient your bars, where you set them up, you know, whether you put your back bar in the front bushing or at the back, how much weight you run on it, I, you know, I've done it all. I've gone from 40 ounces on a bow to, to 10 ounces on a bow. When I shot <clears throat> my two best scores in Vegas. I shot with, uh, <laughs> the first time was with 41 ounces on my bow. The second time I did it with a total of 10 ounces on my bow. So, you know, I, I do not believe in the 4 to 1 ratio, the 3 to 1 ratio or anything like that. It's all just about figuring out what the bow wants and what you're doing when you're shooting. Get more into that in just a little bit. Um, peep height is the other way that you can affect your grip pressure. Um, so I have this theory and you guys can apply this for indoor if you'd like. But, <clears throat> I mean, it mainly just applies to indoor. But I'm a, I'm a believer that when it comes to indoor, you run your peep lower and not higher. And I've heard a lot of people say you got to raise your peep for indoor. <laughs> and I'm, I'm the exact opposite because I believe that when you run your peep higher what ends up happening is you move your your scope and your sight up, right? So when your peep is higher from your knock point, you will effectively gain yardage on your sight tape or whatever. <clears throat> you will have your sight set something closer to where your 20 or your 15-yard mark would be. And <clears throat> when you're taking a whole bunch of shots, like high-pressure shots, with your sight set right there, you're going to have this tendency to push or when you start to what I call overtry, when you overtry, you're going to push these shots out the bottom. Right. And I know a bunch of you are like, Oh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you get the pin on you're, you're pushing and pulling and tugging and pulling and nothing's going off. And, uh, finally it just kicks out at six o'clock and bam shot rips off. Right. Or, you know, you're just not getting your release to go and you just muscle it and you muscle it right out the bottom. Well, I believe that that's a function of like some kind of alignment that has to do with your peep and your, your arm. And I think when you lower your peep, you therefore, you're, you're like, what happens next is you have to lower your sight, right? 
And when you get that sight hitting it about 40 yards or 50 yards, what happens is when you start breaking shots, you start breaking them more level. You're not pushing them at the bottom. You start pushing them out, you know, hopefully pushing them out the middle or on like a, if you were to stand sideways, it would be a horizontal plane, you know, if you're watching someone sideways. So I've heard other people, you know, I discussed this with some people and they're like, eh, I don't think that's correct because you don't take into account things like arrow builds and point weights. But no, that's the beauty of this whole theory is it does take into account things like point weights. Um, if you look at some guys, maybe you don't want to lower your peep, right? Maybe you like your peep exactly where it's at. How do you get that scope lower on that site to this point where you're breaking nice, clean, level shots? You build a heavy fucking arrow. So, again, this is all theory that I've had. If you guys listen to some, like, early, early episodes, I came up with this theory when I was high on nitrous. <clears throat> I was at a party, and I was I was huffing nitrous and watching, uh, I think it was, like, the Lancaster Classic or the Vegas shoot, and just noticed <clears throat> a lot of guys had their scopes, like, middle of the site or low in the site. And I was like, man, why is that? Because everyone I know shoots it at, you know, their sights high up on their bracket. Well, I did some digging. Well, that's not true. I didn't do any digging. I just did more nitrous and realized, well, it's got to be one of two things. It's got to be either be a heavy, heavy arrow build or it's got to be their peep height. And I experimented and I, I you know, I used to shoot a, a 200 grain point on a 30 inch arrow and, um, you know, even that, even the 200 grain point will only get you so far down in your sight. Like at some point for me, some of it's got to come in with the peep height. So, um, yeah, I mean, there you have it. Like <laughs> people ask me like, what point weight do you run on your indoor arrows? It's 150 grain on triple X's. That's not, that's not a lot, you know, uh, I know guys like Chris Perkins shoots a 250. I think Rio Wild shoots a 250. I mean, Rio might even shoot a 300 or a 325. Um, you know, those guys all have. I mean, Rio used to have what was called like the formula. Even George Rouse had a formula for the the 2312, right? Which was like, well, you know, 100 grain point at 28 inches and blah blah blah. Bullshit. Bullshit. All your kids are either the same height, you know, or, I don't know. <laughs> it just doesn't, no, no, I don't buy any of that at all. There is no formula, all right? Unless, unless he builds these arrows for all these kids and then adjusts all their peep heights until they're all breaking level. That could be, huh? That's a possibility. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> if you guys know, we, we spin our wheels a lot on this show. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my little spiel on grip pressure. Uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that is grip pressure is huge. It's the interface between you and the bow and the shot. And, um, and those are just some of the ways to, you know, to affect these things. Um, you know, with indoor, it's the perfect time to fuck around with this stuff. But 
and you know, I just gave you a laundry list of things you can fuck around with. But keep in mind, at some point, you got to practice. You got to stop. You got to get your mental game under control. And you just got to start hammering out rounds and figuring out. You got to listen to the bow. The bow's going to tell you, like, you know, what's what's trending. Like, what's where are your misses coming from, right? And that's what someone had asked me, like, well, how do you, how can you tell when to add an add weight and when to remove weight well is it getting hard like for me if i miss two shots right say i miss two shoot two nines do they miss in the same spot first of all um and if not you know why did i miss them what what was i doing was i just taking lazy shots was i rushing the shots was i not taking it serious was i taking it serious and just couldn't control the bow you know all that stuff kind of comes into play and it it makes me uh reevaluate what how, how I have this thing set up so you know if you're dipping out the bottom usually I'll say take an ounce off the front add an ounce to the back sometimes I'll say add an ounce to the front you really got to test it out and people go add an ounce to the front why would you do that well maybe you're being too gentle on your driving arm like your bow arm right Maybe you're just being too gentle and it's dip. You know, that's what's causing the dip. Maybe you need to be a little more aggressive, but you don't want to be so aggressive that you're pushing at the top. So what do you do? You put a, you put a governor on it. You put a limiter on how much you can push it out the top. You do that by adding an ounce to the front or two ounces or whatever it takes. Now don't everyone go out there, run out there and start adding ounces to the front and telling me, Oh, Wendell, it don't work. All right. Cause it's, you know, the bow set up for you, man. You gotta, you gotta play with it. Yeah, yeah. Add an ounce here. See what happens. Add an ounce there. See what happens. Um, you got to be mindful of that pin float when you're doing this. When you're trying to, when you're trying to figure out what it is exactly you need to do, try and record this pin float, or just the experience of executing a shot, so that you can remember when you add an ounce here or there. What happens? You know, well, you know, before it was holding good, and then it would kind of. It kind of dip at the bottom right towards the end. Well, now it doesn't do that. Now it holds good. Now, now it kind of shoots out the top towards the end. Okay, well, can I split the difference there? No. Well, maybe I can add or subtract somewhere else to, you know, you got to pick a path. You're going you're gonna to stay with it dipping and go down that path. You're going to go with it going out the top and try to fix that problem. Basically, you just do that over and over and over again and practice and <laughs> get your shot down you'll be in good shape all right i promise um let's see okay i had a, a i hope that was sufficient for you guys a little out of practice with the whole podcasting thing because man i've been enjoying my vacation i've been uh running around with my kid running around with deer in the woods um it's been good times all around um Okay, optics choices. Someone asked me, Wendell, what optics are you using? Are you are you all about the, you know, three sixty five optics or, um, or whatever they call it, the three sixty five lens? You know, um, and I'll be a hundred percent honest. No, I the first lens that I spent big money on was a Zeiss. It was back when Zeiss lenses were used in the shrewd housing. And I got it for a shrewd uh, Nomad. I think it was 35 Nomad. And 
It was awesome. From there, I went and I bought the IR Perfectum for the Shrewd 29, like the Mini Mag. And I also got a Feather Vision lens for the Shrewd Mini Mag. And then over a series of, you know, mishaps and whatnot, I found myself in need of another lens. So the last lens I got was off of eBay from Optics 300. And Optics 300 has some really cheap lenses on there. Um, But they have an option for a glass lens. It's their premium lens. I picked that. And no joke, guys, I think it's like 79 bucks, 80 bucks. It's no different from any of my other glass lenses. It's no different than my Aria Perfectum. And I know someone's probably going to take, you know, some issue with that, which is fine. I'm not saying don't go buy the IR Perfectum, you know, if that's what you want, or if you really want to see what's on the other side, go for it. But here's what I did. I bought, I bought this uh, glass lens from Optics 300 off of eBay. I also bought a Chinese knockoff lens, not with the intention of shooting it, okay? I just wanted to see what the differences were because I kind of had this feeling, well, maybe the optics guy is somewhere in the middle of, you know, the IR Perfectum and Feather Vision and then all this. And I can honestly tell you the Optics 300 is almost... I'm not even going to say almost. It is no different than any of my other glass lenses. I mean, it's not to put those those lenses down. There might be something, you know, I just shoot, I've only shot the Optics 300 indoors. So I can't tell you what it does with glare or in low light, you know, conditions or whatever, but it is a good, good option for, for a lens. It's 80 bucks. It's glass. Um, make sure you order the right one because the guy will not fucking... <laughs> Won't that be cool to you if you order the wrong one? Um, the Chinese like polycarb lens is absolute shit. Like it's super shit. It's fuzzy. The lighting sucks. Uh, I mean, it was only ten bucks, so I was like, "Why not? We'll just see what it looks like." As of right now, I, I'm just using it to. It, I'm using it like a saucer for screws. <laughs> <laughs> for hardware to sit on. Uh, I don't think the Chinese polycarb lens will ever go into a bow. Um, unless, you know, I want to like prank somebody. <clears throat> so, yeah. Well, guys, that's what's been going on with me. Um, I, I would like, you know, I have plans to keep this show going. I want to get my buddy Austin on to talk hunting. Uh, I would like to get Louis Sheedy on. He is a badass from up north who, you know, the dude's just grind. He grinds. He grinds with archery. Uh, word on the street is Louis is about as unfiltered as I am. So I do like that. Um, hopefully we can get some, some shit talk going. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what we got in the pipeline. Um, so... Uh, you know, I apologize you guys for being absent for so long. I'm going to keep the show going, but you know, just going to take little breaks here or there. Got to, got to take care of biz first. Oh, big thanks to everyone that, uh, is sending me props via interwebs and stuff. Um, for the first time ever, 
my show is now getting like cash donations from uh, a listener. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> I just want to say you guys don't have to do that. Uh, you know, I told the, I told my listeners, I like to tell them like you guys don't have to donate any money to me until you start shooting 300s. If you shoot 300s and it's a direct result of this show, <laughs> I'll take some of your money. That's fine. But, it, you know, until then, you know, I do this show because I like doing it. I like helping you guys. Um, I hope, I hope this shit helps you guys. I hope I'm not just talking into the wind, you know. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know how many times I'm going to say you know. But anyway, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Short episode, uh, just getting back to things. If you guys uh, wanted to hear a badass one, listen to the Gaius Carter episode. Gaius just went and did battle at the first Dakota Classic. Um, my man didn't win it, but, you know, we were all hoping. We were all, all of us uh, over here on the West Coast were, had our fingers crossed that he was going to whoop some ass. So I don't think he, he uh, I don't think he made it easy for anyone. But big uh, congratulations to Tate Morgan. I think he got shooter of the year. Pretty beastly. Um, I don't think anyone. <laughs> I don't think anyone thought Tate was a slouch. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, and you know, local archery stuff. If you live in California, Northern California Bay Area, um, the San Francisco Archers has a 3D bug shoot. You guys remember the Mount Madonna bug shoot? Oh, if you guys live in Northern California, you'd remember the the Mount Madonna bug shoot. Um, the Mount Madonna bug shoot was always kind of uh, an event that I held near and dear to my heart because it was the first event I ever won. And you guys all know when you start winning, when you win an event, it you're hooked. You know the feeling of winning. Uh, especially if it's something you practice for. Um, it's amazing. And it's a quick way to be addicted. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was practicing real hard for that shoot. And I remember people told me, like, guys that were going to go shoot it were like, you know, you shouldn't go. And I was like, why not? And they're like, eh, it's beneath you. Don't do it. And I was like, fuck that. Nothing's beneath me. Like, you know what I mean? I'll shoot against hobos in the street for cash if I have to. But um, I went to this event. I won it. Beat those fucking guys who told me not to go. And they got all shitty with me. But um, after that, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. I still have my belt buckle from that event. Well, Mount Madonna, it was a, uh, it was actually a field that was built like on a private, on a public park, on like a county park or what's the word? City park. What do they call that? Recreation park. I forget. It was built on on public pri- uh, public property, so even for the members to go in there to work on the field, they'd have to pay for like a, a day pass or whatever, which was not sustainable. Eventually, it closed down. Well, San Francisco archers out in Pacifica bought all the targets, and they're going to keep the bug shoot going. I mean, it's been like four or five years since the bug shoot happened, but it's pretty fucking cool that SF archers is going to like revive the bug shoot. Um, it's a it's basically a safari event instead of foam animals it's big bugs i think the 100 yard shot they call count bugula and it's like a gigantic vampire bug um man it's good stuff 
If you can't get enough of Safari, I urge you guys to go out and do this one. Like I said earlier, it's near and dear to my heart. It's one of my favorites. It is Sunday, October 9th, uh, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., you know. Uh, 42 targets, two arrows. You guys know the, the deal. 11-10-8 scoring, scoring. I'm pretty sure you can hit up Randall Killpack if you want to get down on some kind of money event and be cutthroat about it. But, yeah, that's a good one, guys. Don't don't snooze on that one, especially if you're trying to, you know, maybe you're not going to shoot indoor this year. Maybe you're going to keep rolling outdoor. Uh, man, that's fucking dumb. Why did I even say that? Of course you're going to shoot indoor. Who's the, who's sleeping on indoor? <laughs> I know some people that are already gearing up for indoor. So I think I think Bodie did some kind of post where they like you know he got the new Hoyt. And people are like, have you shot a 900 yet? And he's like, yeah, a couple of them. <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for the support. I really dig it. Uh, as always, if you guys got questions, stuff you want me to address on this show, give me some content. I'll, I'll throw it out there. Um, I got stickers back in stock. Thank you to Oscar Melendez. Um my homie, my homie from down south, uh, he hooked me up. So if you guys want some stickers, hit me up. Like, just let me know. Just drop me a line. I'll mail them to you. And uh, and that's it. Onward to the next episode, huh, people? Uh, before I, I go, I will plug Carbon Craft Stabilizers. You guys know Carbon Craft Stabilizers. My man, Brian Webb, down at Impact Archery in Fresno, makes them by hand uh they are the dampest stiffest bar for your money honestly even for someone else's money they're really damn good um check them out i I have a spare set but there's no way you're gonna find me because i'm i'm doing like some hermit archery stuff right now you gotta climb a mountain to find me and and shoot with me Uh, i'm just I'm on the hill. I'm on the mountainside by myself practicing right now. But if you do climb the mountain, uh, and you do happen to find me, I will grant you one wish. If that one wish is that you want to try carbon craft stabilizers, <laughs> I'll let you use my demo my demo pair. All right, um, they're killer. You guys can order them directly from Brian Webb at Impact Archery in Fresno. Or you can place an order with my man, Rudy Sandoval, at West Coast Archery in Petaluma. Uh, the show is also sponsored by D&B Custom Coatings, my friends out in Napa. They do incredible work. Uh, if you guys follow them on Instagram, DB Custom Coatings, you're going to see some awesome, awesome stuff. I got a sneak peek at a, at a Matthews bow, I think a TRX-40, that just got done, and it looks insane. It looks insane. Um, so get ready. You know, it's going to be up there soon. Um, you know, I don't think I plug West Coast enough on this show. West Coast Archery. Uh, someone had asked me, like, hey, Wendell, where do you buy all your biter knocks from? Because Lancaster doesn't have them. Or for whatever reason, they didn't want to get them from Lancaster. Uh, dude, West Coast Archery. Got all the biter knocks in the world. All right. Uh, like I said earlier, call Rudy, Rudy Sandoval. He's got it all. Or you know what? 
don't call Rudy Sandoval. Call West Coast Archery and ask for Austin. Austin Watts. He's the big dog on campus now. Get get your knocks from him, okay? All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, damn, I, I hope I can get my shit together for indoor this year. It's always been my favorite time of year. Throwing 300 rounds and Vegas rounds. Oh, unbeatable. Unbeatable. I love that stuff. Um, I just hope I can do it good. Uh, if I can figure it out, I'll be sure to share what I know with you guys. All right. <laughs> all right. All right, everyone. Have a good night. Peace.